the privilege of meeting Dave and Jackie, oh goodness, six, seven years ago now, something like that, and having supper at their, well, two houses ago, I think, and, 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 let, and listening, letting, letting Dave tell, him, tell me his story in his basement while he was drumming guitar. Um, he's lost the guitar, but yeah, I think you're going to be very edified. Dave's story is incredible, and I, I, I'm blessed. A few years ago, he, just, he heard the call to be a deacon, and God willing, say a prayer for him, and about five months, He'll be ordained a deacon for the parish uh, here. So, I don't want to get too much into Dave's background because I'm sure it's part of his talk. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Dave Harris. Hello, everybody. So I, I want to thank the committee for asking me to speak here tonight. And I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of anything that CEO is doing here in Cedar Rapids. It, when I first heard the phrase Catholic evangelization outreach, I was immediately intrigued. Just this, this idea that the word evangelization is not a bad word. It's, it's something that we really should be doing as Christians, as Catholics. And, and, and then the CEO talks that I've been able to hear have followed this, this formula that really reaches people like me. You have, you have regular people sharing their fears and their faults and their failings openly and talking to, about how maybe those things brought them to a point maybe of desperation or a point where they were willing to open up to the possibility that God could help them. And then they talk about God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's abundance. And that's, that's really the way you reach people like me. You'll see in my talk maybe one of the biggest obstacles between me and you and me and God was my ego. And it was this idea that my case is different. That what you say about yourself what you say about God or church or whatever you're doing, it may be really good for you, but it's not going to work for me because my case is different. I, I had no framework ever of anything Christian. I, I, was, I, I, just, I was very secular. I didn't know anything about God. And so when you talked about stuff like that, I, I really believed your God probably wasn't big enough to solve my problems. And when I heard people just sharing who they really were, their fears and their faults and their failings, like we do here at CEO, I, I identified. And that drew me in. And, and I became willing and open. And that's, and that's where my life started to change. So real quick, is the volume good? Can everyone hear me okay? When you go like this, does it mean turn it up or? No, okay, it's all good, okay. All right. So I'm going to just get on with my story. It's, it's, it's really, you've had some amazing speakers here at CEO. I'm just, I'm just a spoiled, self-centered kid that drank a lot, right? So, but my story, I, I grew up in a small town in central Iowa. Good family, good parents, good home. All my needs were provided for. I had really everything you'd think you would need to go on and have a successful life. 
we, there was no one single um, event that you could point to and say, that's why Dave turned out the way he turned out. But we, we didn't have any religion. It was very secular. I was Lutheran for about 20 minutes at the time of my baptism as an infant. So I was baptized, I was Lutheran, and to my knowledge, really, there was really no other church. Sometimes Jimmy Swaggart might have been on the TV in the background, but we only had three channels. So really, I didn't know anything about Christianity. Santa Claus was really the thing about Christmas. And Easter was about the Easter Bunny. And I, I, I can remember thinking, why is it religious people always have to make everything about themselves? Can't we, can't we just hunt for Easter eggs without, what does Jesus have to do with Easter? And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, but that's the secular worldview I had, and there's probably a lot of people that we come into contact with that would have the same, you know, think the same things. There, growing up, I, I was an only child. I was kind of a hyperactive kid. There was kind of this, this growing discontent in my life. It's like maybe there, was a, maybe there was a book that everybody got when you're born, and it tells you how to act. It tells you it tells you how you're supposed to act in certain situations or how you're supposed to feel, and everybody probably got this instruction book for life, and I didn't get mine, and I just felt goofy. I didn't feel like I fit in. I think kids were nice to me. I just didn't, I didn't fit in with the jocks. I didn't fit in with the nerds. I didn't fit in with the smart kids. I didn't fit in with the kids that weren't that smart. And I just, my life for a while got a lot better when I started drinking. I liked, I liked drinking. It, it changed who I was. It changed how I felt about myself. It changed how I felt about you and me. And, and a, a good example, I'm maybe 15 years old. I'm out with some older kids, maybe 16, 17, 18. We're out at the park. And as per normal, I was probably, you know, you know I'm awkward. I'm just a goofy kid. And, and I'm probably thinking, they're thinking, why is Dave even here? I mean, he's such a buzzkill. But we were drinking beer that day, and after a couple of beers, the transformation happens. After a couple of beers, the way I, it's almost like simultaneously I realized and they realized that everything is good. And it was just nice. Camaraderie, friendship. I loved the effect produced by alcohol. And, and if I could still drink without it tearing up any, every other area of my life, I'd, I'd be drunk right now. You know, which is part of the problem. Because I'm one of that, throughout history, there's like 6 or 7% of the population throughout history that react differently to alcohol, that don't seem to be able to control the amount they drink, and I was one of them. I drink too much. I get, I get overserved. All of a sudden, it's 2 a.m., or it's the next morning, and I'm wondering how I got home. And right away, like a ski jumps, things just started falling off in my life. You know, and I, I drank too much at a party, and I had alcohol poisoning. I was riding with someone that was drinking. We were drinking, got in a car accident, and I was banged up pretty good. It was my first, my first head injury. Thank God no one else was hurt. I, 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 had, a, I had a seizure. I, one night I come out of a fog, and I hear this drumming noise. And I realized that the drumming noise is my arms and my legs on the wood floor of the dining room, and I can't tell whether my arms are my legs or my legs are my arms. And I'm having a grand mal seizure on the wood floor of the dining room, and I'm just thinking if I could just get to the chair, I'm going to be good. 
And that's the extent that, that's, I'm not like a, you know, a medical practitioner, but I think that's too drunk. And by 1986, I'm miserable. I'm just, every area of my life, I'm miserable. And I'm laying on the floor one morning, maybe 15 feet away from that seizure. I'm over on the carpeted section now. And I'm laying on the floor, and, and I'm miserable. And to make matters worse, the TV's turned on, and it's turned on to the 700 Club. <laughs> and if you're young, the 700 Club was this, it was like this Christian religious news hour back in the 80s where they would interview people and talk about Jesus. And then to make matters worse, the guy they're interviewing is a guy that had a drinking problem, and he reached out, and Jesus Christ had saved him. And so now I really want to turn the channel. And that's back in the old days when to turn the channel, you had to get up off the floor from where you were laying on the floor, and you had to walk over to the TV, and there was a knob, and you would physically turn the knob, and it would mechanically actuate the channel that the TV was tuned into. And my lack of remote control technology left me helpless. And so I'm laying there, I'm watching the 700 Club. And I wasn't, I just, I wasn't anti-religious, I just, I knew nothing about it. And then to make matters worse, he asked us people out there in TV land to pray with him. And that, was a, that would have been a huge step for me to pray, to pray with this guy on the TV. So I looked around to make sure no one was looking. And I'm alone in the house, you know, but you kind of, from where you're sitting, you look out to make sure the mailman's not walking by to see me praying because I still have my dignity. <laughs> And I prayed along with this guy. And I don't know if, if it was sincere or legit necessarily, but I said the words along with what he was saying, and I prayed. And, and right after that, I pretty much determined that, well, it didn't work. Because nothing changed. Except a funny coincidence. Within a week, a series of events unfolded in my life, and I found myself in a detox center in Des Moines. And I spent four days being medically detoxed from alcohol, and then I checked into a 60-day inpatient program. So let's think about that for a minute. I say a prayer to Jesus Christ, asking for help, whether I mean it or not, and a series of events unfolded, and honestly, it is like something did happen immediately. The power of prayer. And God separated me from alcohol at that time for about six months. And it was, it was spring 1987 when it was really, this is, this is my moment of desperation. This is where I'm really, I'm, I'm drinking again and, and I'm sitting on the front porch of my house and it's April 20th of 1987. It's about 8.30 in the morning and I'm realizing at this point that this is the way it's going to be that this is the way it's going to be over and over and over again. Because I really wanted to change. But here I am again. And I don't know, I'm not here to talk about drinking or anything like that, but maybe there are people in this room that have reached that point in their lives. Like, is this the way it's going to be over and over and over again? And I said what was probably the first honest prayer I'd ever said in my life. I said, God... Whatever you are, whoever you are, please help me. 
and a series of events continued to unfold in my life and people came into my life and I, I haven't had to take a drink since that morning. That was, it's, uh, it's um, over 31 years. And no, no, don't clap. Don't clap for me. It's not about, this has nothing to do with anything I did or anything I figured out or any willpower or pulling myself up my bootstraps. It is simply the power of God and the people that were in my life at that time. And I'm not going to talk much more about drinking, but if any of you have a problem with drinking, talk to me afterwards. And maybe I can, I can get you pointed in the right direction because you don't have to live that way anymore. But whatever it is, you don't have to live that way anymore. I was 18 years old, <laughs> isn't that wild? My life was over at 18, and when I hear, well, we'll get to that. Um, people came into my life, awesome people. They're teaching me things like how to go to work on time and how to pay my bills, and how to be where I said I was gonna be when I said I was gonna be there, and they were enthusiastic about prayer, and they're talking about prayer, and my life was changing. And, and then my friend Joe hands me a Bible, and I immediately recoiled, because I just, I wasn't ready for that. And he hands me a Bible, and he turns it to Matthew 7, 7, and it says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And that's what we were doing. And I continued to knock and to seek and to ask. So I'm open to the Bible. I was dating a Catholic girl at that time, too. And not my wife, just a different Catholic girl. So, sidebar, if you grow up in a small town in Iowa, you have your Lutheran girls and you have your Catholic girls. And they're both great. <laughs> but I always thought the Catholic girls were just a little more exotic or, you know, interesting may be dangerous. <laughs> so I'm dating this Catholic girl, and her mom didn't like me for good reason, but her mom came to town, and we were going to go to Mass. And so I went along with them to Mass, mainly because I wanted the girl to like me. I didn't know anything about Mass. I didn't know anything about the Catholic Church. I don't know if I'd ever been inside a Catholic Church. All I knew about the Catholic Church is maybe what I heard in the mainstream media. But I'm, I go to the Mass, we get there early, and what I was doing in the Mass initially, really arrogantly, I'm just sitting there as you all come in, and I'm judging all of you people based on how you're dressed or how you look. I'm, a, I'm sort of assigning what your problems probably are. And, and when I'm doing that, this little quiet voice comes from inside, and it says, if you're just going to judge these people, why don't you just get up and leave? And what was happening at that moment is it's the quiet voice of God nudging me into the church, sarcastically. If you're just going to judge these people, why don't you just get up and leave? So I stayed and I listened. And I don't know if I heard much until the gospel reading. The gospel reading was the parable of the prodigal son. And I, I identified with the prodigal son. You got this young man in this reading, and he had everything he needed to have a successful life. 
And he'd, he'd left home, he'd squandered his inheritance. He'd acted like a jerk. And he was left hungry and alone. And he realizes out there that even the servants in his father's farm at least have some basic nourishment, at least something to eat. And he, he decided to return home not expecting much, but maybe just with the hope of some kind of nourishment. And his father saw him way off in the distance, almost like he'd been watching for him, waiting for him this whole time. And he rushed out and he embraced him and he greeted him. And he, he welcomed him back as a son. And he killed the fatted calf. And I realized that is what was happening in my life. Somebody, a, a while back, a, a a friend of mine, he's not a big fan of Catholics, and he said, he said, you know, the thing I don't, one of the things I don't like about the Catholic Church is your guilt. It's all, you know, Catholic guilt. You're always guilty, and, and my God's just not like that. And I wanted to say, what are you talking about? Because from my very first Mass, what I found was evidence of God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and God's abundance, and it's all spelled out right there in that reading. And I met people who, some of, some of y'all in this room may be like me and flawed in some way, but we're here because we need God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And some of the people in this room are just really good people. And I could probably become a better man by spending more time with you. And so I left the church that day with a positive impression on the Catholic Church. And, and so now, you know, I'm open to reading the Bible, I'm open to going to church, but there still was a lot of growing up to do. And the rubber hits the road out there in the real world. There, there's a story about, it was one particular Wednesday. One Wednesday I had a really bad day. It was one of them days where you wake up in the morning and it's just frustrating. And by 10 o'clock, you can't wait until 5 o'clock. And at 2 o'clock, I'm thinking, I just got three hours left. It was just one thing after another. I just wanted to be home. I just wanted to be done. I don't know if anyone has ever felt like that. It's a bad day. Well, what happened is at 4.45, my boss came to me and he said, Dave, I need you to stay late. And I said, I said Andy, I, I can't. I've had a really bad day. And he said, it's really important, Dave, the big boss is coming from Des Moines and we got to finish this project. And so what I did was I got mad, said a few words, and I walked out. Not a very churchy thing to do. <laughs> and then I'm mad at traffic on the way home and my day has just gotten worse. I just walked out on my boss. And I get home and I'm so mad, I call my friend Joe, the one that had handed me the Bible. And... So sidebar, when someone reaches out to you hurting, you're not supposed to be sarcastic. And I don't know if Joe got the message that day. Because I explained to Joe how my day was going, and he said, he said, why don't you just quit that rotten job? And I knew he was, I knew he was messing with me. And then he said, he said, you could quit that rotten job, and then he said, well, of course you won't have any money, so you'll have to, you know, bum cigarettes. You have to bum rides because you won't have any gas money. He said, that's it. You can be a bum. <laughs> and then, I know he's being sarcastic. 
And then he said, or you could get down on your knees and you could ask God what he thinks you should do. And he hung up the phone. And it made me so mad, I got down on my knees and I said, God, what do you think I should do? And I went back to work. And I get to work and Andy, the boss, he's got pizza. He's like, Dave, come on in, we got pizza. And we worked a little and we ate pizza and we worked a little and we ate pizza. And it was 8.30 at night and we were leaving and we're all standing outside by Andy's car. And this crazy thing happened. I felt at peace. I felt good. I felt that camaraderie, that friendship, that the same thing I felt with those kids out at the park, drinking beer only better. So when something dramatic like that happens, it's important to identify what really happened. The agnostic would say, well, I worked late, and that made me feel better, so my solution is probably to work late. I'm going to work late tomorrow night, and I'm going to work late Friday night, and heck, I might even come in on Saturday. And if I did that, I'd be missing the entire point. It had nothing to do whether I worked late or left early or had a job or didn't have a job. What really happened that day is I had a bad day. I reached out to someone in a, in a faith community. I listened to him. I did what he suggested. I prayed. And then I did the best I could to do as I thought God would have me do. And all of a sudden, I'm where God wants me to be. And it's easy there. It's just, it's nice. And so that's what happened that day. Um, reading the, the Bible was still difficult for me. And I don't know if, if any of you here have had trouble just being intimidated by the Bible or reading the Bible. But for me, when you read a book, you're supposed to start at page one and you go all the way through and you get to the end page, whatever that is, page like a million, <laughs> and then you're done. And what happened for me is every time I tried to read the Bible, I knew there was good stuff in there. I'd been moved by stuff in the Bible. But I would get started and I would just get mired down in these details that didn't seem to have any bearing on the story and I didn't know what they were talking about and I'd get frustrated and I would put it down. So what my Bible did is it sat over there on the shelf and it collected dust. And so one time I just decided to read, and if you're like that, Consider this as an option. One time I just decided to read the Gospel of Mark. And still I'm at a point where I still don't know a lot about Christianity. I mean, I, I didn't know very much at all about Christianity. And so I read the Gospel of Mark and I decided what I was going to do is I'm going to read it with the intent to pretend like this stuff really happened because I was at a point in my life where I really didn't necessarily believe the accounts as presented in the Gospels actually happened. I thought it was a collection of stories intended to teach me things and there's a lot you can learn, but at, the point, at that point I didn't believe that this stuff really happened. And I get into the Gospel of Mark and what happened is I got caught up in the story. Almost immediately, I'm believing that this stuff really could happen. The very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, you have, you have John the Baptist. And he's this quirky guy out in the desert, and everybody's going out to see him. And he's talking about repentance and preparation for the Messiah that is to come. And people from all over Judea and people from Jerusalem, they're all going out to see this guy. And I, I found myself imagining, what would it have been like to have been there at that time? And would I have been one of the people going out to see him and maybe to be baptized by him? 
That's a legit story. That could have happened, I find myself thinking. And then still, I'm in chapter 1. I didn't even get out of chapter 1, and I'm, I'm just captivated by what's going on in the Gospel of Mark. There's a scene where Jesus is walking down the Sea of Galilee, and you have Simon and his brother Andrew, and he says, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men, and they just drop their nets and follow him. It's such a short little three or four sentence story in there. And I found myself reflecting on that, thinking about what would that have been like? This, this must have been a powerful moment to be in the presence of God. For them to drop their nets and follow him. And I wondered what it would have been like, what it would have been like to be there with the real presence of Jesus Christ. And then I wondered, what would it be like if Jesus Christ was right here, right now, in the flesh? Let me say that one more time. What would it be like right here, right now, if Jesus Christ was in the flesh and we could recognize him? He's, he's right over there. Okay. Spoiler. Um. <laughs> and I kept reading. I read, I read the Gospel of Mark. I read, and then I went on and I read... I read um, Luke, and then I read John. I went back and I read Matthew, and then I tried to go to the Acts of the Apostles. It was too much for me. For a couple of years, I just reread the Gospels, and I loved the Gospels. And, and, and since then, Bible studies have opened up a lot of books, all, all 73 books in here. And as Catholics, we, we should be Bible nerds. We should be Bible geeks. I mean, it, if you like the Bible, thank a Pope, right? It was, it, it was at councils in Carthage, And somewhere else. This is, I have no idea what I'm going to say tonight. Talk to, <laughs> we're the ones that put the canon together. But anyway, I'm just as curious about what I'm going to say as you all are. <laughs> I'd rather read the Bible than almost any book. I like it. And at that point in my life, some really good Catholics were coming into my life. We, we, the, these are just just really awesome people and they were talking about traditional worship and they were talking about they gave me the scott hahn rome sweet rome tape and then they taught me the rosary and the rosary i didn't even know the rosary was misunderstood or controversial in some weird way i just thought the rosary was amazing i recognized right away this is a perfect way to praise and worship jesus christ i didn't think we were praising and worshiping mary we're recognizing that mary is was his first and most faithful disciple and that she is pointing to him and telling us to do what he says but i just thought the rosary we're meditating on these mysteries and the thing i like most about the rosary is i'm kind of maybe adhd i've never been diagnosed but i might be a little adhd i'm very high energy i'm a dynamic thinker jackie likes to say she's a linear thinker that'd be you know sane <laughs> <clears throat> But the rosary is perfect for people like me. Because when I'm praying the rosary, my hands, I'm not fidgeting. My hands are busy moving the beads. And while my hands are busy moving the beads, my mouth is busy saying the prayers. And while my hands are busy moving the beads and my mouth is busy saying the prayers, my mind is engaged and I'm meditating on the mysteries. And so I got my hands and my mouth and my mind engaged. And my vision is engaged. Because if I'm praying alone, if I'm praying alone, I got this, I got the crucifix. 
And if I'm praying in the chapel, I'm looking at the tabernacle because it's all eyes on Jesus. And so my vision is engaged. And while all of those senses are going, I also have my hearing engaged because I can hear my voice whispering and I can hear the ticking of the beads. And if I'm praying in a group, I can hear the leader and the response and the leader and the response. And there's a rhythm to the rosary. And I get caught up. It's like I get caught up in the rhythm of this prayer. And it's just good. I like the rosary. And it was, it was the Scott Hahn tape that it was a bootleg cassette. <laughs> Probably should buy that. <laughs> but that really propelled me into, and I, I, I went into RCIA. And I became Catholic. 1992? Yeah, 1992. And, and, and also, those really good Catholics coming into my life, probably the best one, not probably, my wife Jackie. And she just, she was an unapologetic apologist. She just loved the Catholic Church. And it was different. I don't know if any of you ever had trouble with relationships. Some in a room like this, there's a couple of us here, maybe somebody has. But for several years, I just had trouble in relationships. I just, I, I was changing all these areas of my life, but this area just wasn't changing much. And I was just, I was quick to say, I love you. And I'd enter into these, you know, we're like dating already. It was almost like we'd take each other hostage. You know, it wasn't dating. And and I'd reached a point where I, d I decided I didn't want to tell another woman I loved her until I was willing to propose. And I'm asking God, you know, please shape the kind of man you want me to be. Form me into who you want me to be. What do you want me to do with this? Because what I'm doing just doesn't seem to be working. And you've got to be careful what you pray for, because what happened to me when I prayed for that is I didn't date anyone for like a year and a half. God decided that I wasn't ready for that. And so all of my friends are meeting girls and then they're, you know, getting engaged and they're getting married and they're going off to do things without me, like their honeymoon. <laughs> and, I, and I'm driving home alone. But I'm on this new basis of trusting and relying upon a power greater than myself. And I, my way was so stupid that I'm just okay. And I just got to trust God. And I met Jackie, and it was just easy. It was just different. We just became friends. We dated. Dating, if you're young and haven't dated, this is an interesting concept. What you do when you date is you get a rose, a single rose, because any jerk can buy a dozen. You get a single rose, and you go over, and you pick her up where she lives, and then you go out, like go to the Olive Garden and try not to fidget with the breadbasket too much. <laughs> and then you talk, and you tell her she looks pretty. And then you drive her home, and you, you kiss her goodbye, and then you go back to your home. And that's called a date. And, uh, sorry. And it was just nice. And we didn't even kiss goodbye for the first month. And we became friends. And, and God was at the center of our life. And we, we got engaged, and we waited until our wedding night. I'd like to throw that out there, because 
that's still a thing that you can do, and it's been such a good form. We've, we've just got, we've got such a good memory, or memory, um, such a good relationship. I guess we have good memory, too. <clears throat> but we've been married almost 27 years now, and it's a good thing, mainly because of her patience. But, but still, there's this need. I need to be in the middle of stuff like this. I need to be in, in faith community. I need to be with people I'm willing to listen to. I need to... I need... I still need God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and I'm still getting God's abundance. A good example, we lived in Indianapolis. We, we graduated from Iowa State University who just... <laughs> who just completely crushed Baylor today, by the way. <clears throat> well, so we, I, we, I got a job in Chicago and they advanced me and we moved to Indianapolis and, and the truth is in Indianapolis it was hard. Okay, in, in Indianapolis it was hard. We, I worked a lot, I worked second shift, I worked and we never got to see each other. We didn't have time to even make friends. And it was frustrating, and we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and it was like, you know, the money isn't that important. We miss our friends, we miss our support group back in Iowa. And we, just, and we, we talked to some people that, that I'm willing to listen to for, for direction, for advice. And we decided to move back to Iowa. Okay, so that's a good thing, but here's how quick the wheels can come off the bus for me. Moving back to Iowa was going to mean I was going to have to take a couple days and go back to Iowa and do a job interview. So my perfect idea was, well, that's clearly too big of a problem to trust God with. So my idea was, I'm going to tell my boss my aunt died, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to do the job interview. And my aunt died, and what a great gal she was, you know. <laughs> and I'm talking to my buddy Phil, and he says, he said, I guess you could do that, Dave. Have you ever thought about just telling your boss the truth? No. No, I hadn't. So I go into my boss's office that Monday. And I said, okay, here's the thing. The company's been good to us. I like the job, but we really miss our family. We miss our friends. We miss, and we want to go back. And he said, so you like the job. You just don't like living in Indianapolis. And I said, we just, we want to be in Iowa. And he's like, well, go out in the hallway. He was a big, tough dude, big, bald guy. Had a big concrete cougar statue on his big desk in his big office. Type A guy. And I assume I'm out in the hallway like you're in school, getting kicked out to the hallway, that this is where they come, clean the stuff out of my desk, put it in a box, they get my box and my goldfish, they walk me out to my car, and they escort me off the property. Because that's what you get for telling the truth. And instead what happened is he called me back in his office and he said, kid, if you'd have talked to me a half hour later, you'd have missed this, but there's a job opening in Iowa same pay will move you there. One of my favorite Bible verses is, be still and know that I am God. <laughs> right? I'd have missed that. I'd miss, I'd miss all this stuff if I just... So I really need to be around in, in this. And we moved back to Iowa, and life is good. And, and we had our son Tommy. I can't do a quick talk without talking about Tommy. He's... He's almost going to, he turns 22. <laughs> is that right? 
yeah. Next month, and he's a, he's a really good kid. He takes, he takes after his mom. And he's a, he's a junior at Mount Mercy, and he works for probably what I would say is one of the most respected, just a great business here in town. Good people. Um, so now, I, I guess what we have is I'm just truly blessed with God's abundance. And I still have the need for, for God's mercy. And, and I'm, as we kind of get close to wrapping up, my favorite Bible verse is, is Philippians 4, 4 to 4, 7. And I, I might have to look it up, but check this out. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known by all. The Lord is near. And then it says, have no anxiety at all, but in all things, through prayer and petition, make your requests known to God, and his love, which exceeds all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is such a tremendous reading for me for so many reasons, because I always thought you had to get out and fight and prove that you were the number one guy, that I had to go out and outthink and outperform and outmaneuver just to eke out some meager existence in an unfriendly world and spend money I don't have trying to be somebody I'm not to impress people I don't even know. You'd be tired too. And he's, he's saying, I, that's, I don't have to do that. It says, my, my job is to, is to, first off, rejoice. It's so important, I, he said it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And my kindness should be known by all. And I should recognize that the Lord is near. And then have no anxiety at all. That's a big one for me. I got ang- And if any of you have, here's a really good prayer if you have anxiety. How about this? God help me. <laughs> Simple. Or God, please remove my fear and replace it with faith. That's a pretty good one too. Um, and his love which exceeds all human understanding. It's like mind-blowingly big will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So, so I pray a lot. I pray all through the day. I pray a lot not because I'm like a holy guy. I pray a lot because I really need to pray a lot. I, I pray I, at work. I'm, I may be going into a meeting. I'm sitting in the conference room. People are coming in. And before anyone gets there, I might just say, God, please you know, help me do whatever it is you want me to do. You know, just to make contact, just to make that connection. I pray in traffic. This is a good one. If you ever get frustrated in traffic, try this. God help that guy. He sure is driving like an, uh, you know. <laughs> Jesus, I pray that he's safe. <laughs> and one time I, I, I was driving down First Avenue and I hit every single red light. And I, it, it's frustrating. And I took my frustration to confession, to reconciliation. And Jesus said in there, he said, he said, next time you do that and you're at a red light, just say, God, thank you for letting me learn patience. So I got to a red light and I said, God, thank you for letting me learn patience. It didn't feel good, but I did it. And then one time, me and Jackie hit every red light on First Avenue and my face is just getting red. And she says, are you doing that prayer thing? And I said, well, no. 
So I don't know, and that's just a quick note. I mentioned reconciliation, come to reconciliation. I go once a month, I need that, it is so good. If you don't, just try it, you're missing it. You're missing one of the best kept secrets in the Catholic Church, come check it out. And if you're at a point in desperation, you don't have to live that way anymore. And if you're, maybe some of us are just in that point where is this all there is? Because things should be amazing and they just don't feel very amazing right now. Things are dull. And if you get to a point like that in your life, you don't have to live like that either. I mean, jump in. Come to Mass every Sunday. Participate. When I participate, things improve. Ask to be a reader. Learn to distribute communion. Be an usher. Be a greeter. Just jump in and join us. And pray. Pray without ceasing, because that is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you.